0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Mother-Daughter Team, Dr. Gloria, and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. is an adopted child, loses her sibling, and in 1995, Christy Mueller's brother, Keith Kono Pasick. I hope I said it right. A police officer. Close. How do how do I say, it, Christy Keith Kono Pasick. Keith Kono Pasick, a police officer go. in Oakland, California, was murdered in the line of duty. A short time later, Christy, along with the parents who adopted her, joined the South Bay, Los Angeles chapter of the Compassionate Friends. <coughs> Christy went on to start a sibling group, which she facilitated for five years. A former national board member, Christy is a speaker and workshop presenter for the Compassionate Friends. Welcome to the show, Christy.
1: Hi, you guys. Thanks for having me. Hi, Chrissy. It's great to have you on and Thank you. wonderful. So, um, we've known you through the Compassionate Friends who are on the board. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And Heidi, and you have done conferences with you and, and been involved with sibling loss. So, tell us a bit about Keith.
2: Um, Keith was a great big brother. He was. Um, Handsome and strong, and and everything that a little girl would think a big brother should be, and um, he, you know what? I I don't want to get all teary-eyed on you guys. So that's, okay. that's, the,
1: that's what the show's about, Kristen.
2: Um, Being real. Yeah. Um, He was wonderful. Keith was five, excuse me, five and a half years older than I was. And um, although we went through a lot of regular sibling things like everybody else does, I did have the, um, you know, the privilege that I know that some siblings don't get to have of being able to become adults and become friends and become. you know, shares of life and your history and your past. And um, so I'm really grateful for that because I know when I talk with a lot of young people that have lost lost their siblings, they're dealing with the guilt of, you know, the last time I talked to them, we were mad at each other because as kids, that's what siblings do. Yeah. Uh,
1: Could you tell us how old you were when you were adopted and, and so did you know him? Did he know you from baby or were you a little older?
2: Yeah, well, what happened was after I was born... Um, I stayed in a foster home for four months. I had a heart condition they needed to make sure would remedy itself before I could go to a home. So when I was four months old, um, I, my mom and dad brought me home. And, and the story goes that Keith was the one who saw you in the crib and said, Mom, that's the one I want. Yeah. And um, he had a lot of say. They had thought about naming me Kimberly. And Keith told my mom that he didn't like Kimberly at school, so he, they <laughs> couldn't name me Kimberly. So they had to name me Christy and, or pick a new name. So they, they did, they named me Christy. So Keith was uh, about five and a half when I came home. To um, live with my family. And my little sister, who is my parents' biological child as well, was born uh, 11 months after I was, mm-hmm. which basically means that once my mom and dad signed the papers that they were going to adopt, my mom got pregnant
1: like so many other people. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I can just imagine that little five and a half year old seeing that baby. How, what a thrill for him, and probably a little jealousy, too, I would guess.
2: There was, I think there was a lot, especially when my sister came along. I remember my mom saying, it was very, you have to excuse my voice. Ever since the fires, it really does affect, I was working out with a girlfriend, and we were outside, and we probably Mm. shouldn't have been, and ever since then, my throat's been a little bit, a little bit hoarse. Um, But, yeah, I think it was hard. Keith was older and been an only child until he was, you know, five and a half, and then along comes me, and then, boom, my sister, and all of a sudden my mom has two babies, and and they're not twins, so they're on different schedules. So it was hard on him, but
1: he... um, yeah, Laddie, I was thinking about your adoption, and you Mm -hmm. had a little boy around that age. Uh, I want to talk a little bit with Christy before we get back into the show about uh, her brother, Keith. Keith's death, about what's going on for her down there in Southern California. Uh, You were saying that your kids can't go out to play because of the uh, quality of air?
2: Yes. um, The school district has... um shut off all P.E., they're not um, allowed to have any P.E. classes, and they're supposed to stay inside for lunch Mm -hmm. and recess, and and all the uh, parents were talking about how difficult it is in the afternoon to get your kids coming home having sat around all day, Mm -hmm. because they just want to expend all their energy, and just makes you think, too, that here we are, we're really not affected here in the Los Angeles area, or at least where I am, near the beach cities, and uh, how hard it must be on, you know, everybody else. My nephews can't even go to school,
0: wow. so
2: they're stuck in their homes. And, if and you where are they located? Ones, they're in San Marcos, which okay. is very, very close. They had, um, you know, they've sent pictures um, of the fires, you know, from their backyard. You know, right. they didn't have to evacuate or anything, but um, they can't go to work. Um, my half-brother, as we were talking about me being adopted, um, my half-brother from my birth family they sent an email and, and his boss lost everything and wow. we actually were visiting with them my husband and children and i were visiting with my birth family i hadn't seen my birth mom in eight years and we were visiting in san diego right across the street from qualcomm stadium where everybody's being housed and it was Sunday afternoon and we realized how smoky it was and none of us had been listening to the radio or anything. And we got in the car, my husband and children and I, to drive home and we just kept
1: passing the fires and passing the smoke. It was, it was pretty unreal. Well, people I know now, you've, you've piqued their uh, thoughts on you actually knew your birth mother even though you were adopted at, um, at birth. Um, well, I didn't you, find my birth mother till I was 22. And you actually went out and looked for your birth mother and found her.
0: I did, and that w- was that before or after Keith died? It was after, right?
1: This no,
2: actually, it was before. Oh, okay. And a real neat thing is, is that Keith got to meet her, and um, I remember where we were when Keith met her, and and he just gave her a really big hug and said, Aww. "I'm really glad that you, you know, gave Christy that kind of thing."
1: Aww. Oh, that's very it's touching. How touching. Yeah. Tell us something. Uh, tell the audience about how Keith died. He died in the line of duty, right?
0: As a police yeah, officer. Keith
2: was a, um, uh, a police officer in Oakland, California. Now, how did he get to Oakland? Mm -hmm. Well, when when I'm in Southern California where our family started, but then my father transferred to Northern California, so when my brother finished high school and went on into the working world, um, we were up north, and then my parents moved back down to Southern California, and my sister and I, still being younger, came back south as well, and Keith stayed up north. Mm -hmm. And um, so he had a great job. Um, He was a manager of a, a Specialty foods market, and up in Fremont, and um, doing very well for himself. And took a cut and pay when he decided to become a police officer, but he really wanted to make a difference, and he just had that kind of um, personality. You know, going to go out there, and I'm going to help. And he was big and strong, and he just. How did how did your
1: parents feel about that?
2: um, Well, it kind of. I think it's scary for any parent, but you're also so proud of a good choice they want to make. And um, and then another... how old were you?
1: Did you think, wow, my brother's going to be a police officer? And...
2: Um, yeah, well, I was, what, like 24, 25? Uh-huh. So you were and... a little
1: older and you thought it was a life
2: choice. Oh, definitely. Well, and I had thought about being one at one point too. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. That's another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went to the to the Explorer Academy in high school, which is the Boy Scouts um, for older kids, and you can be a fire explorer, a police explorer, and so I went in and explored that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I was very proud of Keith, and um, we had an uncle who was a sheriff in Colorado, and. So it didn't seem, and Keith had already been in the army for a number of years as a reservist, and so it, it kind of flowed with who he was and the kind of person he was. So we were proud of him and excited for him, and he um, went through uh, the you know the training. And he was the only recruit in his class that didn't have to take a test more than once. And so we knew that this was uh, where he really wanted to be, considering he didn't always do so well in high school. When he got to where he wanted to be to doing what he wanted to do, he was always at the top. Mm -hmm. And he um, graduated in January of 1995, and he spent his first three months with a field training officer and uh... after that three months he was on his own and in july which uh... he'd been on his own three months he was conducting a routine traffic stop he had seen a, a bunch of kids run away from a scene um, that was a known drug corner and so he pulled them over
1: to um...
2: You know, look inside the car and see what was going on and he had the kids out of the car in the police car and another police officer came, and they were searching the car for drugs. And my, the car was parked. It's, it's kind of hard to explain. The car was parked against the curb and in front of a home. And as my brother was searching the car for drugs, um, he had his back to the door of this home. And the homeowner had nothing to do with the stop. He didn't know the kids in the car, not involved at all. He just happened to be... Um, I don't know, crazy. I guess you might say. And he had a loaded assault rifle sitting in his wow. um, oh my God. in his living room, and he picked it up. and He was mad at the Oakland Police Department because he'd been turned down to become a police officer twice. Wow. He was mad at the Oakland Police Department because the night before he lost his job as a security officer with a um, license to carry a weapon um, because their security firm had been roughing people up. And because of that, the, the Oakland Police Department was putting pressure on them. And so this um, crazy individual picked the assault rifle up, and he pointed it at my brother's back, and he pulled the trigger.
1: Oh, oh my goodness. goodness.
2: And um, he got right underneath his bulletproof vest. Uh-huh. So um, an assault rifle from about 30 feet away wouldn't have mattered if he hit the bulletproof vest probably or not anyway.
1: Now, did he die instantly?
2: Um, He went unconscious after about 20 seconds, and he went into surgery at the hospital and died in the hospital during surgery about two hours later.
1: Now, was your family, did they know um, that he was in surgery? Were they able to get in touch with him?
2: Um, We, my mom and dad got a call that um, Keith had been shot, and of course it's, you know it's in the shoulder we think he's going to be okay but you know they've called you immediately and there's no real information yet you know everything's just crazy and my parents in southern california hopped on a plane and while they were on the plane my um brother passed and so when they got off the plane um they were didn't even go into the terminal they were greeted and met on the tarmac um with police officers and they took them off the plane and um, them in the car and told them that my brother had not made it
1: oh my goodness and where were you and when did you get the information
2: um i got a phone call when my parents had visitors uh staying with them friends staying with them and they called my home and i had just gotten home from church with my husband and um i was a newlywed so i put a lot of pressure on a new marriage Mm -hmm. and um when we got home they the the gentleman visiting my parents called and said your brother's been shot and, you know, get a hold of your sister and, and that kind of stuff. And I just waited, tried to find my sister and waited for my dad to call.
1: Wow. And how long was that after? Did they actually see your brother at the hospital or did they get back No,
2: no they stayed. Well, yeah, they, they, they stayed in Oakland. They spent the night there then. And, um, you know, that's an interesting question. My dad is listening right now. He could answer it. Did you see his body? Yes, we did at the viewing, and at first I didn't want to, and I'm really glad I did.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Wow. um, Now he wasn't married, right, or he was?
2: Um, um, The day that Keith was shot was a Saturday, and um, he was shot at 6.30, and his wedding invitation arrived in my mailbox at 2.30 that afternoon. Uh. So um, most people... Who were getting a wedding invitation got theirs within a day before the day of or a day after so he, was he was shot.
0: shot so. Going to get married? To get married? He
2: was engaged to be married. Yes. Wow. And the wedding dress was there. All the deposits had been placed on the facilities, and um, and his fiance is uh, another big loss. When we lost Keith, as much as we tried to stay close, you know, we wanted her to go on with her life and get married and have a family, and she just actually had a baby. Um, a week and a half ago, so I'm very, very happy for. Her, but I just I realized too I suffered that great loss because I was very close with her and could hardly wait to have her as a sister-in-law.
0: Right, absolutely. And, and as a as a sibling, that I, I my only brother, as you know, Christy died, and I had two surviving sisters, and I I felt like the wrong child died. When Christy um, went out to find her birth mother, at you were about
1: 21, right? 21, 22. Uh, 22. 22. That kid came- thanked her for um, giving this sweet baby to their family, and that really touches my that's, heart, to the, kind the kind of guy this guy was,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. you know, for
1: a big guy's And then, and and then the dying,
0: thing. and dying in the prime of his life so physically fit, and, so, and, and someone that can take care of himself in any situation, and to have being killed and shot in the back by an assault rifle, I mean, he didn't even have a chance, basically. Yeah, well, and that's...
1: that's
2: yeah, I was going to say, and that's what the police officers shared with us, is that how can we even train our officers for
1: that? Right. There is because, no because,
2: training that's going to save you from that.
1: Right, because for people who just tuned in, he was going through a car to look for drugs, and he had his back to a house, and a guy picked up an assault rifle and shot him in the back. I mean, it's just a, a very bizarre happening. So I wanted to ask you, um, Christy. When we went to break, Heidi had a question, a sibling question for you, which I thought was great. And um, how you want to repeat it? And, uh... Well,
0: I, I, so Christy and I have something in common, and that's that our only brother died. And so I wondered, given that there were more than and girl, you know, more than one girl. I mean, in my family, there was three surviving girls. So I felt that the wrong child had died. I felt that I should have been the one because my brother was the only boy. And I didn't know if Christy shared that or not. I know I've talked to other siblings that have felt that way, but I didn't know what her situation was.
1: Yeah, I agree
2: with you there, too, Heidi. I have talked with a number of siblings over the years, and there's been some commonality about wondering if, if it was the right child or it would have been better. And and in the beginning, um, you're so lost and everything is so raw. And, and uh, some of my immediate first thoughts were, you know, Keith and Carrie um, are my parents' biological blood children, and so it definitely would have been better if I had died because, you know, I was their adopted child. And 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 you would never even know in my family that I was adopted. I look like my family. I'm a little different than them, but, you know, they're all even killed, and I'm this up-and-down person, but... It, we were family, and, and you wouldn't have known, nobody knew. My Aunt Betty said she always waited to see if my mom and dad treated me differently just because she wanted, she didn't know anybody who had adopted a child. or And uh, she said, your mom and dad never, from the day they brought you home, they never treated you differently. My mom would say, I, I, don't, I forget that you didn't come from my tummy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was see. definitely, you know, I, I don't know that all adopted children, are brought up in that. Type so you of knew that.
1: How did you cope? Just for our audience who are in your situation, and maybe their sibling has just died and they're adopted. How did you cope with that? What did you do? What did you, you tell know what? yourself? You did you actually
2: I did. You know, I, being older, I think it was easier. I feel for young kids, you know, who might not have gotten the maturity behind them to deal with these kinds of things. But I verbalized it.
0: I, I was going to ask you, Did you ever go to, to your parents and say, you know, I feel like I, did. I was adopted I did. and maybe it should have been me? Or, uh, was that, no, yeah. was that? You no, know, you I were able to do that. that. Good for you to be able to be that open.
2: Well, and also, too, like you said, Heidi, it, there's me and my sister. And then I thought, well, not only am I adopted, but I'm a girl. Right. So if it was me, they'd still have their biological son. They'd right. still have a boy. And, you know, we kind so of have a. I yeah want. there's there's not a whole lot of Konopasics in the world and and uh, <laughs> my sister and I aren't carrying on the name as we're both married and um yeah you go through that i i feel grateful and blessed that you know a month or two later that kind of feeling and those kinds of um thoughts
1: subsided and probably your parents reassurance about oh definitely. That they love you definitely and how, and how did yeah. you cope with that honey
0: um, I think, for me, how I coped with it was in talking with other other siblings, like Christy said, and finding out that what I was going through was normal. Because I, although I went to you and Dad and you guys were supportive, it, you were also saying, we love you so much, why would you think that? Which made mm-hmm. me feel like, well, maybe what I'm thinking is bizarre and abnormal. Right. But when I talked to other brothers and sisters, I found out that actually my experience was normal. And that made me feel better. It was It wasn't like I was insane or going crazy or had some bizarre thoughts i was normal and i want to say one more thing about adoption because this is such a near and dear thing for me because i you know a year a year and a half ago i adopted a little girl and i have a biological son and she's my second born and when i went to china and put her in my arms i knew that was the daughter i was always meant to have as soon as i held her and i love her as much as my biological son and i didn't know how i would feel i didn't know I absolutely love her as much and in different ways as my son. So it's it's adoption's a wonderful, wonderful thing.
2: It is, and I am so grateful for to my birth mom who was willing. I think it takes a, a um, somebody that loves mm-hmm. unconditionally to give their child up because they know that they can't provide what a child needs. And so I agree. With you know, she she loved me and gave me life, and then gave me the next best thing by giving me parents that could love me
1: and you know, teach me to live that life. Mm-hmm. And how, And and talking about grief, did you have to grieve ever in your uh, childhood for your biological mother or that they hadn't kept you or that that couldn't have happened? I
2: think it wasn't a grief that happens and then it's done. I think growing up adopted, um, and, and for everyone it is different. Um, for me, it was this ongoing thing. Um it was always a part of me. Um, like I said, my family, they're just really even-keeled people, and I'm a real up-and-down emotional highs and lows. And so although I knew that I was part of my family, I always felt this just little bit of difference. it was, mm-hmm. For me, it was a nice puzzle piece put in place when I met my birth family because they have some similarities in their personality that I do. They're up and down and all over the place. So all of a sudden I felt, okay, genetically I'm, I was wired this way. I'm not crazy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're all left-handed. Well, I was the only left-handed person in my family. Oh, so it's just all these little things that, um, that I, I really liked having put in place. And yeah, I think as I grew up, it was always a part of my life. It was always just that, I can't find the right words for it. It's a, it's it's grief because you wonder why. How, you're a kid. You don't know why somebody gives you up. But I knew that I also had an amazing life, you know, so I, I, I'm I blessed. I really was. I got amazing, amazing parents that adopted me. And,
0: and I think it sounds like. It sounds like you're fairly close to your sister as well.
2: Oh, very, very close to my sister. And, of course, like you guys know, once Keith was gone and Scott was gone, we grabbed on even tighter.
1: Mm -hmm. So so that you would say that you have a different relationship because of Keith's death with your sister? Definitely,
2: Uh, with my father, with my sister. Um, My dad learned to do a lot of I I love you and a lot of hugging after Keith died, which was something that was a little foreign to him as an engineer, and um, he wasn't real good at expressing his feelings. And um, I've really seen a change in him. He's gotten really involved in Compassionate Friends and um, learned to... um, really open up, talk about his feelings, um, share some of those things. Uh, yeah, it does. If, if, and if, what about does, your mother? Um, I don't know where we would be if it wasn't for TCF, um, mm-hmm. the Compassionate Friends. My mom um, said she'd never go to one of those meetings, and my dad and I basically dragged her. <laughs> and um, a couple more times we dragged her, and she was the treasurer for seven years. Wow. Um they were very involved in TCF and, and just having friends that understood and people she could talk about it with. Um,
1: and really you had a sibling all the group, problems. right? Or You've been involved with siblings?
2: Yes, I started a sibling group um, within the first year of Keith Dying. I met all the amazing parents in the um, chapter that I was attending, and they all had these children, and they all would ask questions of me so that I could give them some insight to help their surviving children. And I realized there was such a need for their surviving children. And I started to meet with them and and tried to get them all involved, and none of them wanted to go at first. Nobody wanted to you know, do a grief thing, and when we finally started getting some of us together, it was amazing how it took off. And I'm still very close with um, a number of the people that we all started the sibling group with together.
1: So that's a wonderful example of the fact that you can, um, if there's not a sibling group in your area, you can start a sibling group. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
2: I think you need
1: something major
2: behind you, and that would be a really good supportive
1: uh, you could find out if there's a compassionate friends in your area and then ask them if you could do a sibling group with them. Right. right. I started right. one in Palo Alto. I would love somebody to approach me to do a sibling group uh you know uh along with the the other group. It, uh, everyone can come to compassionate friends. I mean the Correct. siblings can come, but it's always nice to um have uh make at least be able to break off into a sibling group. Right. Cuz
0: nice. the sibling's that loss is different. And um, we need our loss acknowledged and validated. And I think, Christy, I loved when you said we had a shared life and you lost part of your, your history and your past. And we know things about each other that our parents don't even know.
2: Well, and, and if you really stop and think about it, in, a, in an average lifespan, mm-hmm. your relationship with your sibling will be the longest relationship Absolutely. you will ever have.
0: It's supposed to last 80 to 100% of our lifetimes. We're supposed to be stuck yep. with our siblings. Keith and Scott were supposed to grow old with us.
2: And they were supposed to, you know. For me, I look at it, my big brother, and you know, he was going to take care of everything. He always I, took care of me, and and no matter what would happen in my life, no matter how long my parents lived or whatever, there would always be Keith. He would always be there, and he would always take care of me and and,
0: um, and protect you.
2: Yes, he was. He was a he was a protector.
1: Yeah. also uh, I'm thinking Heidi about even though Scott was Heidi's. G- younger brother uh-huh. you used to call
0: him from college right i always did i call i mean he was three years younger but i would call him and and confide in him because he was he would just listen without judgment when i called my sisters, it was a little different dynamic girls have a little different way of relating to each other so he would call i would call i'd vent. i would confide in him and i knew he was it wasn't going to go anywhere and i lost all that so it's, it's hard yeah. Sorry about my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> dogs <laughs> I'm can running be very away. healing. Dogs can be very healing after loss, right? Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Love.
1: We they, got they two are. after
0: my brother died, right, Mom? Yeah,
1: absolutely. We got one, and then we got another one. And, and my husband is not a great dog lover. So when we got the second dog, I said, what will we name it? And he said, Houdini, because it won't be here tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And it was there another seven years (laughs) or longer. Yeah, until until he died. Anyway, that's getting into just a little bit, and we don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but I thought we might want to touch on the fact, the pressures on relationships, on your marriage of having a sibling die. Yeah, it was really tough.
2: Um, I think... um, I was blessed that when I got married, although I was 27, my husband was a little older, and I think his um, life experiences and his maturity and um, and just his commitment level to marriage and, and those kinds of things really helped us because um, he was in for the long haul, and when he didn't get um, the woman he had just married seven months prior back for a very long time, emotionally, physically, mentally, even
1: being there, because
2: my brother was up north, and our our trial lasted two
1: years. I wanted to move in. I'm sure our audience is sitting on the edge of their chair wondering what happened to this guy who was sitting in his house while your brother, who was a police Mm -hmm. officer in Oakland, was in a car, bending over in a car looking for drugs. The guy shoots him. And later on, a few hours later, he dies in surgery in the hospital. That's what um, I want to know. What happened to this? this What happened to him? Horrible thing. (laughs) Uh,
2: That—that's a story in itself too. Um, We—he immediately came. Well, there was a couple officers on the scene, and they all went into, uh, you know, that mode of where did that shot come from? Are we going to be shot at again? What's going on? and uh, knowing that if he didn't play his cards right, he'd end up dead, too. The guy pretty much put the gun down, put his hands up, and walked out. Um, we He spent two years in jail um, awaiting and going through the trial, and um, coincidentally enough, on July 3rd, the day before Independence Day and um, five days short of exactly two years, he was freed even though he admitted picking up the assault rifle, pointing it at Keith's back, and shooting the trigger. I'm pulling the trigger. Um, it's hard to say exactly what happened. The, the judge gave the jury two, two scenarios. The, he, you, he's either guilty of this or he's guilty of this. And the jury in their deliberations decided, well, he did something wrong, but he's not guilty of this and he's not guilty of this, and they didn't give us another one, so we have to let him go. Wow. So we took another hard loss and another hard hit when that happened. Um, I feel we have the best jury system in the world, but it does go wrong. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there was a lot of um, race issues surrounding this Um and that's that's a difficult topic to get into. Um, my brother was Caucasian, and the man who shot him was um, African American. And there's a lot of um, problems in Oakland, in the inner city, with the police officers and the African American community. And a lot of it just came down to. Um, a lot of racial uh, racial problems. So it's, it's hard to go on too much
1: more right. about that. Well, we have another uh, friend of ours with the grief blog uh, who emails us every um, so often about her um, son who has been shot. It's five years coming up. He's a police officer. It is so frustrating for the police department to deal with all this. I can imagine this must have shaken them to the core.
2: It was tough. It was tough on everybody. Um, a lot of... Um, anger, a lot of um, how can this happen? Um, we were stunned. I think the judge was stunned. We saw other jurors who obviously felt um, intimidated by what was happening in the deliberation room, crying. It was a, it was tough. It was a really, really hard loss. It was very hard on my family, but ultimately what happens to that man doesn't really affect us because um, nothing will bring Keith back and Um, wanting revenge or anger or hate towards him is only going to hurt us. And for the most part, our family has just um, pretty much forgotten and gone on, and um, he left town within 24 hours and moved across the country, and that's pretty much all I know. I think he wanted to get out of there for fear of somebody making a bad decision and uh,
1: hurting him, but nobody did that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting when we talk about it because we've we've interviewed other people on the show whether it was murder involved. In, uh, and one of the things that we get from people who seem to you know have really kind of made peace, more peace with it, is that the revenge, the anger. Uh, one of our fr- uh, people who was on the show said that uh, Luke Cox, um, he said that his daughter was murdered, and he said there'll always be a place at the table for this person, whether I like it or not. They'll always be in my life, and I can choose to just ignore them, or I can choose to feed feed them. He, he used the analogy of actually having somebody sit there at a dinner table. He said, or I can actually feed them with revenge, hate, and anger. Right, and and okay. I'll be the one who's the prisoner of that.
2: Mm-hmm. And I remember too, it was my dad right after the verdict came down in those first 24 hours when we were in shock and grieving again and, and couldn't believe that this had happened to us. And my dad just standing strong and firm for our family and saying, but you know what? None of that matters. That doesn't matter. We don't need to concern ourselves with this guy. We need to take what's happened to us and we need to move forward as a family and we need to uh, go on and, and 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 not get stuck in that kind of um, hatred and anger. So I was really thankful that my dad just really, you know, stood up and, and. Uh,
0: what, what a Led wonderful the way message. for the family! Mm-hmm. What a wonderful message for your father to give you! Yeah. We're all in this together. We're going to get through this together, and we're going to make it out together.
2: Oh yeah! From day one, that is how he did it, um, and I'm grateful for that.
0: Well, it's almost time to close the
1: show, and it's been um, just fascinating talking to you about uh, being an adopted child and losing a sibling and um, and Keith's life and and how your family's dealt with it. And we wish you you know great luck in the future, and um, you're just a great family. Um, Do you have anything that you want to say as we close the show to our audience? Uh, A couple quick thoughts. Uh, uh, There goes the dog again, sorry. (laughs) A couple quick
2: thoughts. One would be, um, you know, as your family suffers the loss of a child, to um, give each other grace Um, that you're all going to grieve differently. My sister and I are very close in age, and growing up we haven't always been, you know, that close. You know, we're teenagers and all that, and Carrie and I grieved extremely differently when Keith died. And um, through Compassionate Friends, I learned that, my trying to get her to grieve the way I was and the way my parents were. By going to meetings, I, I wanted to blame her. You know, you're not grieving the way we are. You're holding it in. It's not going to be good for you. You need to do it my way. And we stopped talking for a while. And it was through Compassionate Friends that I learned that everybody grieves differently and, you know, needed to understand her. Um, so I learned a lot through um, Compassionate Friends. I also recommend, if it's Compassionate Friends or not Compassionate Friends, finding other people that have lost a sibling or lost a child that really can relate to what you're saying. You know, a lot of people can't relate to the fact that you think it would be better if you died versus somebody else, unless they've lost their sibling. Would you think like that? And then ultimately, too, I think... um, when I started to get better and I turned around and helped other people who were where I was, that has given me the greatest satisfaction, and it's made Keith's life. Um, it's given a lot of honor and purpose to his life if I can go out
1: and help somebody in his name. Oh, great. Well, you've certainly done it today, Christy, and thank you, Christine Mueller, for being on our show today. It's time to close our show.